We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. Good afternoon or good morning or good evening, everybody, wherever you're tuning into this exciting webinar here this afternoon, this morning, this evening. We know we have over 500 people tuned in different parts of the world, and we welcome every one of you. My name is Dr. David Samore, and I have the honor and pleasure of being a moderator for today's conversation, which is guaranteed to be, I think, exciting, provocative, and I know I'm going to learn some things. I think you will, too. Before we get underway, we're going to give everybody, you can see their faces on the screen. Uh, we'll drop the slides here in a couple of minutes. Uh, we've got some really cool people here today to share different perspectives on a very important topic, which we'll talk about in just a minute after some quick intros. And that's, of course, getting teachers, training teachers, keeping teachers. How best to do that. So we have with us today Anna, Dr. Ana Arte Gonzalez from Palm Beach County, Florida. We've got Ben Lusk, who's coming in from just outside of Cincinnati in Kentucky. And we have Amanda Rather, uh, just outside Little Rock in Arkansas. Also joining us today is Aubrey Escobar from Mindsets Learning, and uh, we're happy that all of you are here. So let's start with Anna, since your face is first to the left. Tell us about yourself, and then we'll move through this and get into our conversation. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good, good afternoon or good evening, everyone. My name is Anna Arce Gonzalez. Uh, I am from Palm Beach County. The city of Lake Worth Beach is the school where I'm currently a principal at. So if you know anything about Palm Beach County, we are the fifth largest school district here in the state of Florida and the 10th largest in the United States. We have about 200,000 students in our population with a very high minority and Hispanic population. I've been an administrator now for about 23 years. I've administered schools, primarily elementary. I title one schools with, again, high minority, high free reduced lunch, and Hispanic population. Also in all schools that I've been an administrator, I've had the dual language program, which is a biliterate program where students learn, read, write, and speak in two languages primarily Spanish and English. So the outcome is that when they leave elementary school, they're ready to go on to middle school as a biliterate learner. As well, um, I've graduated from Barry University, that's in Miami, Florida, with a doctorate degree in leadership with a specialization in counseling. My master's is in marriage and family therapy with a specialist in medical therapy. Nova Southeastern, and that's in Fort Lauderdale, and also Florida International University with two bachelors, one in education and one in music performance. You never got bored during your entire, it's not, you're not, you're not <laughs> it's, um, so it's almost that same, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, right? So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and move, move this, uh, the, the kind of mic a little further forward, but Clearly, you're not someone that still sits still easily. And by the way, that's also raising two two kids as well. So <laughs> never a dull moment over there with Anna. Ben, tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Ben Lusk, and I am currently the gifted and talented coordinator for Beachwood Independent Schools. 
Um, if you know Northern Kentucky, uh, basically Kentucky doesn't want to have anything to do with us and Ohio won't take us. So we're just kind of our own little island up here. Uh, and we're about five minutes outside of the city of Cincinnati. Uh, so I have been everything from a curriculum director in a school as small as Beachwood, which is about 1500 students, K-12. Uh, we are all under one roof, which is an anomaly these days. Uh, but I've also been in large districts, uh, third largest in Kentucky. I've been an assessment coordinator, an English teacher. Um, I actually started uh, education by getting my uh, education or my English degree. And I had no idea what to do with it. So uh, I am here now and I have been an educator now for 26 years. So Outstanding. Amanda, yes. talk to us. Yes, well, good afternoon, all. Um, my name is Amanda Rather, and currently I am working in Bryan, Arkansas, and that is just about um, 20 minutes probably southwest of Little Rock, and so um, I enjoy the central Arkansas region. And prior to that, I was working in a small rural district in Arkansas. Um, both this larger district that I'm in and the smaller district that I am um, equally both have um, Title I schools, and so I've had a lot of experience in working with a um, quite a bit of diversity and students that are um, on free and reduced lunch or come from um, lower socioeconomic populations. The district I currently work in has about 9,000, 10,000 students. So for Arkansas um, population, that's per a pretty big district for us. Personally, I um, graduated from Harding University and I had a bachelor's in early childhood education and I went on to obtain a master's degree from University of Central Arkansas in special education. And I've spent uh, quite a bit of my career working with students with special needs. I've also been a principal and assistant superintendent and now I am the assistant director of special education here in Bryant and I love this role. I love getting to problem solve and figure out ways that we can help our students here in this district um, be successful. So you can see that we've got three people who are going to be our panelists today that have got very interesting, very backgrounds. But before we move forward, talking about interesting backgrounds, Aubrey Escobar, tell us about yourself. And I know you're going to talk to us about mindsets. I am. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and joining our Mindsets Leadership Series. Um, we are going to be talking today about upskilling teachers uh, for today and tomorrow. Really, the focus is teacher retention, and that's something we're passionate about at Mindsets. Um, personally, I have been a teacher. I taught third grade, fourth grade, seventh grade, and I've been an administrator, dean of student services and instruction. Um, I'm out of California, um, and I've been working in this world for uh, ed tech world, I would say, in education uh, since uh, 2008 um, and teacher before that. So super excited to be here. Um, really excited to share with our panelists. I'm going to be helping with some of the Q&A. So if you do have questions, please pop those into the chat as we're going through. I will take note and I will ask them at the end of our call today. So Aubrey's going to stay with us for a minute. She, and we'll, she's going to be here the whole time, but you may not see her face for part of this. But she's very much a part of our conversation today because she's going to help us get, uh, walk ourselves through it. So, Aubrey, talk to us about Mindset. Yeah, thank you. Um, again, so Mindsets is sponsoring these web webinar sessions. We have our leadership series. And um, Mindsets is real-world, challenge-based uh, curriculum supplement for mathematics for grades 3 through 8 plus. Um, we really focus on helping understand how our students are processing and understanding mathematical reasoning skills. Um, we do that through a fun, engaging challenge environment, project extensions with hands-on learning. 
Um, we allow teachers the ability to make it easy, uh, out allowing for that as those SEL competencies that you're working on in your other areas to be able to be infused in the math classroom, as well as collaborative application for STEM and STEAM. Um, we're here to help teachers and help students think deeper, uh, process deeper, and really enjoy their learning. So we're happy to present today our, our leadership series. Thank you. Gotta tell you, gotta check mindsets out. It's, it's an amazing product. It really engages kids. I'm just gonna say my, my two bits on this. And I only wish I'd had that in the schools that I was principal of, because I know the teachers and kids would have loved it. It adds to everything you do. You're gonna take the kids higher places with them. Thanks, Aubrey. So our speakers, guys, here's their bios. We've seen them, you've heard from them. It's on the website, please check it out. Uh, myself, I'm a consultant now, I was a, in my, if you want to check my bio out, also a school leader as well as a teacher for many years. Um, now I have fun working with school leaders and kids as a consultant, uh, helping them really maximize their potential and really realize that needle moving we all hear about. So we're going to, uh, for the moment, uh, for the next little while, we're going to have our slides drop and you'll see our, our four faces here as we talk. We have a very interesting topic. It's more than interesting. It's vital. And it's all about teachers, how we keep them, how we bring them on board, how we upskill them. So I'm going to very briefly read the kind of focusing statement about today's conversation. The professional educator of today faces both opportunities and crises on a daily basis. Many teachers find that their career paths in the K-12 classroom in the United States um, are often those are people who set out to do something else besides teach, and then they kind of come to being an educator. Their advanced degree uh, is something other than education. And in a very real way, schools have been forced to become colleges of education, where teachers have to learn the basic skills of teaching children, along with the nuanced skills of increasing the performance of those students while they're on the job. So what are the current strategies to address the professional development of teachers so that they are fully prepared for success? How are schools and school systems adapting to today's realities to address upskilling teachers? What approaches are working right now to provide teachers with the skills for an unknown future? And to what, uh, in what concrete ways is school leadership preparing teachers for 2024 which is so close, to ensure their retention. This session is going to deliver, I guarantee, some lively, provocative commentary, questions, and I hope growth for all of us. So let's jump right into this. And I'm gonna, what I, as we go through this, I'll call upon one of our panelists, but I'm going to rotate it so we all get to hear from everyone. The first question, I'm going to, everybody's going to have an opinion on it, and I want to hear from you. We all want to hear from you. But I'm going to put it, first to Ben, and then the others will, will chime in. The main theme today is teacher retention. We need to talk about finding talent, because that comes first. Most of the 15,000 school districts in the United States are finding it increasingly difficult to find qualified teachers. What has been your experience in addressing this challenge? Ben, you go first, and then we'll get to Amanda and Anna. 
All right. Thank you. So uh, these days, I think that you have to look just about everywhere you can. So I know that one of the topics we may discuss is those, you know, those people who maybe are going through alternate certification. Um, I don't necessarily think that is always a negative thing. I know some people are a little bit leery about it, uh, but I do believe that those people bring some amazing skills to the classrooms. And I think that as our children's need for skills change, I think some of our teachers needs for skills change and, and some of those alternate certifications bring a lot to the table. Um, I believe that as a district leader or a school leader, you have to be very diligent about, uh, you know, reaching out, making yourself known, getting through social media. You have to be you have to be out there telling the story of your school, of your district uh, so that people know who you are and what you do so that when they graduate high school, they graduate college. Uh, you know, another thing that we've been working on quite a bit is, is trying to get, you know, our homegrown educators, you know, those children that are own, in our schools. Yeah. 100%, 100%. So, you know, I, I think that these days with the teacher shortage that's going on, um, we have to really uh, expand our horizons as to who we define as a teacher in our classroom. And sometimes we have to then train them a little bit differently. Um, but I think that many of those people, uh, again, that are coming from alternate uh, certifications that are coming from uh, uh, places that aren't traditional, uh, we have to learn how to accept them into the classroom because we, for example, in Kentucky, I think we lost 70% of the, the college graduates in education over the past five years it's going to be hard to find uh all, to the, find the teachers in the classrooms been, uh, it's a, that's a heck of a figure you just said but i don't think it's that remarkable because nationally the first five years in the united states people that come from college of education colleges of education within the first five years half of them have left so yeah there you have it what what a what a, what a statement Amanda, what are your thoughts? What's working to bring teachers to the classroom, wherever they come from? Yes, sir. I think for us, a lot like Ben said, I think, you know, we are trying to go out and we're trying to search. We're, I feel like we're always recruiting. And I think that um, whenever we're out in public, I know we were talking about this earlier, and we're telling our story of our schools. I think that is always an opportunity for us to bring people in and um, recruit them in to work in our schools. I think, too, that, you know, we've always also got to look at our staff and try to make sure that they're supported and grow them from within. I know for us, our school district here, we're working with some of the universities to use some of our paraprofessionals and, and try to help them through the process of finishing their degrees or beginning, in some cases, even beginning their degrees to become teachers. They're in the schools and they know how the system works and they know our kids and they know our families. And so they naturally would just, you know, assimilate into a teaching role a lot easier than somebody who has never been in a school setting. And so just trying to work through opportunities like that with the people that we, that we do have. But I think, like you said, on how do we continue to keep our teachers? How do we continue to retain them? I think we have to look at what we're putting on our teachers too. And I know for us- point. Uh, Before we get to Amanda, uh, Anna, I wanna stay with you for a second, Amanda, because your mm -hmm. background, you've got a very strong background in, in ESC or special education as some mm -hmm. parts of the country call it. Uh, the East Coast, they tend to use ESC, exceptional student education. The West Coast, they tend to use 
special. It's, but it's basically we're talking about children with, with a variety of learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. One of the worst things you can, if you talk to principals, which I know you all do, and one of you is currently a principal, one of the worst vacancies you can have is special education, ESC. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my God. Because there are so few people pursuing that. Amanda, what are you finding is is working to be able to either find that person or take a person who, if you will, is a traditional sort of teacher and transitioning them to the special education classroom? So what we have done here is we've really tried to reimagine what our department looks like just over the last couple of years even. And so we have really worked on trying to pull off some of the responsibilities of our special education teachers. I know you will always hear, you know, paperwork is one of the biggest issues for teachers that are in the special education setting. And so we have um, repurposed some of our teachers where they are case holders. And so they, we call them our designees here in this district, but they take care of so many of the conferences and do so much of the paperwork. They're not in a teaching role um, per se, um, like most teachers are, you know, throughout the day. They don't serve any kids directly, but they do take care of our students that are receiving indirect services. And then what we've really tried to do is just leave our special education teachers in the classroom teaching and not having to worry about so much of the paperwork. And this year, when we've gone back to get feedback from our principals and from our teachers, that has been one of the biggest blessings for them this school year is just we've had the opportunity to teach kids again. And yeah, um, that is made a huge difference. The, yeah, the compliance issue for ESC is just huge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. I know all of you. And Ben, even with gifted kids, there's a compliance issue with, with whatever that is. <laughs> gifted. Yes. So, yeah. So, and, and a lot of people listening to this feel your pain because mm-hmm. they, and I call it pain because it is important to do those compliance things, but it also just puts that much more on the shoulders of teachers. Anna, what has been your experience in successful ways of bringing new teachers on board? Well, kind of the same or similar experiences like Ben and Amanda have shared where, you know, we take a look at the infrastructures within the district and everything that they can afford to make things happen. You know, taking a look at the high schoolers, taking a look at the graduating um, seniors, if you will, or the graduating university students. But we've had a step out of not only our county, our state in general. So we do international hires as well. You know, in a school like ours where there's dual language, you know, you do need to you need to be able to hire Spanish speaking certified teachers. And when you are sometimes limited to to hire such, you do have to go international. So in our experience, you know, tapping into someone who lives in Spain or Puerto Rico or Colombia or the Philippines, it's been something now that it's becoming a tradition. And not only seeking people within our district, but seeking people outside of the United States as a possibility. So there, there is a transition that happens there because, again, um, when you have the affiliated universities that are trying to align a lot of the experiences for the students as a university student so that they can then find jobs within the county and have um, some experience going into the county where they can serve as interns and have those experiences within so that when they do transition as a teacher, it makes it a little bit easier because they already know the process. When you are onboarding or hiring people from outside of the United States, you know that you have a huge responsibility within the school 
um, to be able to facilitate and support those teachers, um, not only as teachers, but as, you know, kind of taking a look at what their lifestyles are like and being able to support them in and out of school um, so that you can even keep that teacher teaching for the X amount of years that they're assigned to teach at your school. So I'm going to take what you said. And by the way, the international teacher piece, I happen to have a pretty good idea of who you've got. I know you've got international teachers on staff right now because you and I know each other uh, and, and used to work together. Um, but that's something I think other parts of the country are kind of discovering is, is a viable uh, way to be able to bring talent into the school. Now, uh, I'm going to stay with you for a quick second because the next question relates to something I know all three of you dealt with. So we'll, we'll start with you. And that is this. It's kind of the elephant in the room. Bottom line is we all know that affluent communities, not always, tend to find easier roads in terms of being able to have teachers come to their school and they tend to have fewer vacancies. The more a school is more of a Title I, high needs, a school in, a, in, in, a, in an area of poverty, um, that changes. And I'm going to start with you, then I'm going to get to Ben and then back to Amanda. Um, these teacher vacancies tend to be higher in those other schools, those Title I schools, the high needs schools. What are some of the strategies that you're aware of or you've used to address this disparity that might serve to attract highly qualified teachers to schools with higher poverty levels? And is, is there any PD presented or offered to teachers to help them understand and manage those differences? Anna, why don't you start? You know, professional development becomes an ongoing piece throughout the entire school year. It kind of helps support all support structures and knowing how to um, how to instruct, how to coexist, how to um, manage an entire school. And so the PD does become very differentiated depending on the needs of not only of the students, but the teachers themselves. And again, when you are hiring international teachers and teachers who actually came from a different state or from within the county, there's different levels of, of needs for those teachers. So it's really taking a look at a, you know, a, a lens where it's kind of taking a look at the pros and cons and taking a look at the needs and, the, and, and what's needed to help support and really create the professional development around that. And um, what are your thoughts on how school districts can and, and should perhaps, maybe it's okay to say should, uh, handle dealing with that disparity, which is frankly found everywhere in the United States? Um, I, I agree with with Anna. I mean, you have to have some sort of professional development uh, resources. It has to be differentiated. It has to be geared towards the teacher, their needs, the needs of the students that they'll be teaching with. Um, you know, but I guess in a perfect world, um, and if I had the idea of how to implement this fairly, I would. Um, but I think that there should probably be some sort of incentive tied to some of those buildings, some of those Title I buildings, um, you know, and coming from a relatively affluent district, um, yes, we do get positions filled, um, but the issue is, is quality of candidate. 
Uh, we have definitely seen the quality of our candidates go down significantly over the last few years. Uh, so we may get filled, but we still have the same problems of professional development, of trying to figure out, okay, what are the needs of the teacher? Uh, how can we fill those gaps? And then how does that best meet the needs of the students we have, the direction we're going and the strategic plan of the district? Ben, I'm going to I'm going to push you just a little bit here because you've you've had a sure. variety of paths that you've been on. You've worked at Cincinnati and now you're just outside and the world is totally different. Um, so let me ask you this question. Amanda, I'll come right to you, but I, I got a question I'm throwing Ben's way. The truth is the kind of teacher you to, to imagine teaching is one size fits all, whether it's an affluent school or a school that's in a very deep sense of poverty and lack of opportunity. Are you saying that the professional development is pretty much the same no matter what school they work at? Or are you saying that you have to adjust depending upon the populations they serve? You, you need to adjust 100% based on the population, not only just the population, but the teacher themselves. So yeah, what to, uh, probably, professional development is never a one-size-all-fits solution. Um, it, it doesn't work. Um, it just creates just a, a checklist. You move on, you get it done. Uh, professional development to be effective has to be ongoing. It has to be personalized. It has to be matched to the needs of the teacher. Um, and it really has to be able to stretch them and grow them. And so, you know, what stretches one teacher doesn't necessarily stretch another one. Uh, the needs of one is definitely not the same as another teacher. So definitely not a one size all fits solution. Yeah, and, and I don't think, I'm, I'm guessing, none of the uh, other panelists today would disagree with that. But I, my experience has been that it's easier said than done. In other mm -hmm. words, I, I, because what you say is true. but somehow we tend to find our professional development starts to drift towards the one size fits all and we all know that that really isn't the case amanda i want to get back to you we, we missed you for a couple of minutes what experience have you had or your district or the various things you've done where bringing teachers to less affluent areas does something different happen for them that makes them more willing to come and accept the challenge what may be a challenge than for those who are more at more affluent schools. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts on that are, I think that it goes back to the culture that's within your school. Um, I know that whenever I worked in my previous district, it was not um, an affluent school. But what we were always able to tell teachers when we were out recruiting was that we always felt like we were a family and we were truly a community. And within that community, those teachers were very supported and they were very loved by that community. And even within that within the school culture, they were very loved and taken care of and supported. And I think that a lot of times that's what teachers need to feel um, to continue on in this profession and to feel that um, as they continue on um, doing what we're doing and serving the kids is just feeling like they're appreciated and they have that support that they know that they can go to and lean on and that they're not doing it alone. And so whenever we were talking to teachers about coming to our school, it would have been very easy for um, potential teachers to want to go to other schools that were nearby 
um, other districts that did have more affluent students or that paid a tremendous amount more than what they were going to get paid in our district. But we were always able to sell our district based on the relationships and the culture that we created there that I thought was so important um, because it not only affects our teachers, but it would trickle down and impact our students as well. Now, you've just hinted it, like you knew where I was going with the next question, so that's great for you, Amanda. But I think um, your comment on relationships really resonates mm -hmm. because um, I'm a researcher now, and one of the main reasons people Jesus. leave the profession of, of education is because of that culture piece. They're not, they don't feel appreciated. There isn't a connection. They feel like they're isolated. So what you said is huge. Now, I want to transition to the next question, which all of us, all of us can relate to. After two plus years of COVID, which resulted in many students losing their interpersonal skills and fundamental community skills of interaction that, a, that going to a school requires. You simply have to know how to live in a community with a bunch of people around you. And for two and a half years or two years, we had students that were isolated. Now, essentially, many students just forgot how to behave. I remember asking a principal during this period, how were things when the kids first started coming back to school? And the principal said, and I quote, the kids have lost their minds, which <laughs> basically says, you know, they're having to relearn this stuff. So here's, you know, the long term effects of this protracted distance learning resulted in consequences that will take years to overcome that you, that you are dealing with right now. And people listening to this need to know it's not done. You know, work is still there. So the question is this, what sorts of PD have you provided or, and are continuing to provide to support and upskill your teachers for this challenge, getting kids to kind of operate within a school environment? Elementary teachers and, and principals like Anna they had kids coming to second grade that had never been in a school, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and it literally hadn't been, or kids coming into eighth grade that hadn't been in sixth and seventh grade at a school. So, uh, Amanda, talk to us, since you were the last person to speak, keep going. Well, What's I know. What's that out there for you for that kind of situation? Well, I know for us, I feel like it's not necessarily like a generalized PD, but it's in the classroom support that we're providing our teachers with. I know that um, our kindergarten class this year, you know, the, those were our three-year-olds during COVID. And during that time, I was actually a foster parent and I had a three-year-old that um, at that time that needed related services. And when the world shut down, those services for him stopped. And so I know that <clears throat> that's something that, you know, I just kept in my mind, like, this is going to be the group whenever they come through that are going to miss some of those skills. And so I know that for us in, in our district, our speech pathologists have been huge in um, providing that support for our teachers and going out and working with those kindergarten teachers. I'm going to use them for the primary example, but going out and working with them and working on communication with these kids you know they they miss so much of that whenever they were younger and that free play and so just being able to go out push out to recess push into the classroom and help those students learn to interact and communicate appropriately 
I know also we have several behavioral specialists within our district. And so they are out busy doing some of the same things, you know, just interacting with those kids, teaching the positive behavior um, that we want to see. And then also just making sure that we're modeling that um, among the adults in the, in the buildings as well, but with our students as well, and just making sure that we're all speaking that same language and being consistent with our students. Thanks. Ben, what do you think? What's the best way to be handling or what are you guys doing to handle this sort of get back to what we used to think was normal? There's a lot of I, I think what Amanda said is is right on is there's a lot of retraining. Uh, we really have to work with kids to, you know, who in the middle of a lesson stand up, start swinging around and, and twirling and things to really reteach them, in essence, kind of how to play school. Uh, the communication piece is very large. Uh, the collaboration piece, I think, for us has been uh, a big one, too, where, you know, kids don't know how to work in groups with other students to solve problems or to work on, you know, work on whatever it is they're working on in class. Uh, you know, they they fight. They want to have their, you know, their opinion is their own opinion and the only opinion. Uh, so we have really had to retrain them, especially with the younger grades, uh, you know, how to just be a part of a, a community. Uh, and that's really the way that, that we've approached it quite Quite a bit is just that community piece is you know you have people that you have to work with here's how we do that and just being really intentional about that training playing nice you got to learn it that whole notion of compromise seems to have been lost and so we're having to and i yes. guess those those that who are listening to you all talk i want to make sure that they and there may maybe everybody's an educator i don't know but this is a bigger task that people may understand because it's so extensive now uh, Anna, I'm going to move to you next, but I'm going to change the question just a little bit. But mm -hmm. it does relate to COVID-19. Now, during that COVID-19 period, now it's we haven't, like, it's not behind us, we're still dealing with it, but during that intense two years, two plus years, the workplace, um, it affected everybody. It affected mm -hmm. everybody in every industry. Now, during that time, and I know you all know this because it happened to you like everybody else, businesses would often say to you, if you out to eat when things started to open up oh it's going to take longer because we're, we're short staff or it, your the shipment's going to be late because we're short staff and all of us heard this from private enterprise that was their reason for lack of performance but people in the education business never got that excuse you could never say oh hey you know what we're going to close early because we just don't have enough teachers no one gave you that freedom so Anna, I'm going to ask you the question that relates to this. Is it possible to upskill teachers in resourcefulness? Because that's what it comes down to. They just, you guys will still deal with this. Or you have school, and if it's a Monday or Friday, oh my goodness, and you have four vacancies, or rather four teachers are out, and you may not have substitutes. How do you train for that? How do you train for keeping the, the performance going? in spite mm -hmm. of these challenges. You know, I always say that one educator can take the place of maybe five employees in corporate America because the mindset of an educator is really, you got to make it happen and there's no excuses. And I think COVID taught us a lot of that and it really put it at the forefront that that's exactly how teachers and educators react. You know, in a school setting, it's all hands on deck. And I think everybody really understands that. 
And just going back to what Amanda said, you know, if you are creating an environment and a culture where people know that it's collaborative work, and that may mean where I as a school principal may be sweeping up the cafeteria and taking out the trash, then that's what it looks like. So going through this process has really shifted and, and really just acknowledging all the hard work that as educators and, and staff members within a school setting, um, how hard we do work and how we do make things happen in spite of, right? So going back to the idea when you really didn't have all the staff members on board because people were getting infected and kind of seeing how everybody was just kind of pitching in and making things happen in spite of. I mean, that created a whole different level of culture. Okay, so let me let me push a little further on this, and then yeah. I want to hear the other two jump in, uh, Amanda and Ben. You very clearly, very wonderfully stated, and I agree with you about that corporate comparison. You know, I think highly paid professionals who are making four times what you are making, Dr. Arte González, couldn't last an hour in your chair. Exactly. Maybe a whole day if they were lucky. It's just... So my point to you is this, how do we get people to learn to that kind of got to make it happen? That's how you said it. Can we train that? And if so, how do we do it? Well, it's definitely a mindset. You know, it's definitely a mindset. How do that you train that mindset? I want to, because some people have it and some people have to learn it. <clears throat> how, do, how do we, how, how do we, is it through coaching? Or what's the way to get that across? Well, you know, safety also becomes the biggest, um, challenge for everyone. And it's really the priority at every school. So when you start establishing the safety, aside from the instruction and, and all the academic work that, that needs to happen. Um, but again, it's, it's throughout the entire school year. It's, it's the communication process. It's acknowledging, um, you know, things that just need to happen because during the school day, when you do have students in your, in your school, um, safety's first. So providing that mindset and acknowledging that mindset and, and, and understanding what needs to happen, everything ha that happens after that um, becomes the, the understanding. So how does that, how is that built? You know, it's during our faculty meetings, it's during our collaborative structure meetings and staff meetings, and that includes everyone. You know, so as you're taking a look at SEL, you're taking a look at SEL for students and for staff. You know, it's kind of building that awareness, that management, that social it's, it's, relationship. I, I want to touch back with Amanda on this because I think she said a key word that you're just really talking about is this relationship piece. Amanda, talk about how that figures into developing resourcefulness. Please. Well, I think that it, to me, it's kind of that determination and grit piece, you know, and, you know, we're all going to be, like Anna said, all hands on deck. And I think it really goes to me whenever I think of this and I think of how our teachers responded during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, in the heat of that back in 2020 and 2021, I think it really goes back to also remembering our why, you know, and going back to knowing why we were here and times were tough, you know, they were tough for everyone during that. But at the center of it was the relationship with that student. And I can remember um, I was at my previous district in that small town during COVID and, you know, we were paraded around town. Seriously, we had teacher parades, you know, and everyone was so glad to see their teachers because they had missed them for a month and a half. And I think that that goes back to 
I think so many teacher hearts were renewed during that time that whenever we came back in that um, August of 21, they were of 20, um, they would have done anything, you know, for those students because they were just so glad to, you know, to see them and to interact face to face with them again. And their why was renewed during that time. And so I think that that is really important. And I think, too, just from a district standpoint, you know, as they've returned and we've continued to um, expect performance, you know, from these teachers and students, just making sure that we're providing those resources and those supports. Um, I know in this district that I'm currently in, you know, it is very, the expectations are very high, but we're never going to ask them to do something that we haven't provided for them to be successful with. All about the support behind that, isn't it? Ben, I'm going to move on to the next question, which really okay. is at the, at, the, at the base of everything we're talking about. You know, 10 years ago, K-12 uh, uh, education, we would often talk about HQ teachers, highly qualified teachers. It was like one of those buzzwords. So my question, Ben, kick us off on this. Is the HQ teacher, given everything we've been saying about retention, finding people to begin with, is the highly qualified teacher kind of like, you know, the new unicorn, a disappearing species? How do we... How do we find and, and get those new HQ people to replace those who retire or for whatever reason leave? What can we do? Well, first off, I think that, that we have to redefine what a highly qualified teacher is. A uh, highly qualified teacher before was, you know, they had a degree, they had a certificate, license, whatever it was in the area, and and that was it. And yes, I think that that's important, but also to um, I like a skill set. I need to think that we need to look at uh, the disposition of a teacher. Um, highly qualified teachers are definitely, uh, you know, they're definitely hard to come by, but I don't think that they're impossible to train. I think sometimes it's it's really looking for a mindset, uh, a, a set of skills that are trainable, uh, people that have a certain passion, uh, people who are able to, uh, you know, who are able to learn. I mean, honestly, more than anything of what I look for in a teacher is someone who is who's hungry to learn, to be better, to be to be as the best that they can be. Still a student. Um, Exactly. Exactly. They're always learning every day. There's something new. Um, you know, the person that comes in with 50 degrees and things that they know it all and is very close minded um, isn't going to do me a lot of good. They may be highly qualified on paper, but the reality is is significantly different. So I think I need I need a learner. I need a leader, uh, someone that not only leads himself, but it wants to lead others their peers, uh, their children, their, their students. Um, so I think that those are the, the things that I would say are, are really highly qualified now, not just a degree and a test. You're right. Um, the definition has changed, hasn't it? Um, yes, it has. Speaking, speaking towards the highly qualified piece, I, I, this question was not, I want to kind of come out of nowhere with this, but I want Anna and Amanda, uh, Anna, we'll go with you first and then Amanda could finish up before we head to the next question. So I don't think, I'm guessing you agree with Ben that the term of HQ really is something different than it might have been a decade ago. Mm -hmm. Skills he described. Absolutely. When you interview for a teacher, how do you determine whether they have that mindset? Amanda, you go first. Well, whenever I'm interviewing for a teacher, I am looking to see really, can they communicate to me 
why they want to be a teacher. You know, to me, that is so important. Um, I do think like uh, Ben was saying, you know, the definition has truly changed. And I do want to see somebody that's going to come in and lead, um, lead in a positive direction. I want somebody who's a believer. Um, I don't want somebody who is going to be a fundamentalist and who is going to continue to uh, drag others away from our common beliefs and what we truly desire to achieve in our district. Um, and I need to to be able to see their heart for kids. To me, that is so important. And if they don't have that, I don't know if I can teach them the rest of every. They may know a lot of knowledge, but I can't teach them what they need to know you're, to be successful in that classroom. To some extent, Amanda, you're saying this is innate. This is part of a person. Um, Anna, take it from there. How, how would you add to that in terms of how you identify? This is the mindset Ben's talking mm -hmm. about. This is what we need. Yeah. One of my um, questions that I even asked during an interview is, you know, tell me what your challenges are. Tell me what your needs are, what your vision is, what your goals are. Because I think it's important as a school administrator that we also seek out you know, what they're wanting in the future. And we're trying to see whether they're a good fit for the school. Because then at that point, you want to start transitioning as to once they're at your school, you need to provide that support and that resource that we keep speaking of. But definitely taking a look at, you know, HQ needs to be that mindset has to be there. Yeah, I, th I, th I think and we, this would be another, our next conversation is, the best way to hire, onboard, interview people to determine those key things you're talking about. Here's our last question before we, we get to Q&A. And this is an important one. Uh, I work a lot with international teachers as well as teachers from the United States. And one of the things you'll hear the international teachers say is to teach American kids, you have to engage them. You have to, some might say, entertain some countries, the teacher can stand in front of 58 kids or 42 kids and just talk. And the kid doesn't, like Ben said, you got a kid standing up and, and it's not what he described is not uncommon. How do we train teachers student engagement? Each, I'm going to give each about 30 seconds on this. I'm going to start with Amanda and go to Ben and finish up with, with Anna. Amanda, you go first. How do you teach teachers that? Well, I think that you have to teach teachers first how to know their kids. And I think once you understand your student and you know how to make them tick, you'll know how to make them engaged a little bit more. I think that, you know, we well, can look at engagement sometime, and I think sometimes we can get it confused with compliance. You know, in my experience observing teachers in the classroom, you can walk in and the students appear to be engaged because they're doing everything that the, the teacher is asking them to do. But are they truly engaged in the learning process? Are they really growing? And I think that's the part that becomes a little bit more difficult for the teacher because they have to have their that constant pulse on their students sure. and what they're thinking. And so that requires a because lot of constant check-ins with I, them. What I'm hearing you say mm -hmm. is that engagement can look different depending upon the kid. Yes. Because some kids will sit there like a statue, and they're engaged. Mm -hmm. And other kids are just behaving, they're complying, but they're totally checked out. So, right. uh, Ben, I, know, I, I suspect you would say something similar in terms of what does engagement look like? And that's my question to you. I want to transition. Like, what does engagement look like, Ben? So to me, engagement looks like something that's relevant. Um, it's relevant to the student. 
there's a clear reason why we're doing whatever it is we're doing. Um, I hate to use the term real world because real world has become kind of this, I don't know, it's, it's just not as real world as people said it was. But I think that our kids working to solve problems that are uh, engaged in the real world so that there's always an answer to why are we doing this? You know, that that question always has a very, very clear answer. Um, and that engagement is kids doing, it's loud classrooms, it's kids moving around. You know, it's not that, like Amanda said, she's right on the money. You know, they're not just sitting there taking notes. They're doing things. They're asking questions. Uh, they're getting feedback. They're, they're talking to their friends. They're asking questions of the teachers. You know, it's just kids are up and moving and they're doing things that are relevant. Okay, so I'm hearing you talk about physicality as well. The whole notion, mm -hmm. and I'm going to wrap up with Anna before we get Aubrey back into conversation. So I'm, I'm hearing you strongly suggest physical movement is both okay, and that's how some kids engage, and you need to see that. Uh, Anna, how, how do you train teachers to engage more effectively? You know, Dr. Samori, at our school, oral language is extremely important because the majority of our kids, 80%, are students of a second language. So speaking is, is something that's very, very powerful. And we know that it's the avenue of learning language. So we are an avid certified school, which means that the majority of our lessons are built around collaborative structures, which means that our students are constantly needing to be engaged. So lots of um, inquiry type questions and conversations are had in the classroom and the teacher really becomes the coach as she circulates and listens to the conversations, which again then induces the oral language as well. So as we're thinking about engagement at our school, it's definitely collaborative structures with the students. And that's the same setting that we see our teachers work in, which is the collaborative structure. Wow. Um, I mean, I'm the three of you put that so beautifully in three slightly different ways, but it all ties together so nicely. By the way, for everyone listening, I did not script that. Although I wish I had, because that was great. So, Aubrey, we're going to bring Aubrey back in. Um, uh, Aubrey, I know you've been listening and paying attention, and you have, uh, I hope, some questions to share, and, and I'll let Aubrey take over at this time. Absolutely, I do. Um, one of the questions that we got um, was from um, Kelly in the audience. She said, I know that education must change for tomorrow in a drastic way. I'm, get, I'm trying to get a picture in my mind of what education needs to look like when we make that change. What picture do you have in your head of what education will or should like look like tomorrow? Because I think that question is what we need to determine before um, and what kind of teachers we need to get there. Um, and a follow-up question to that, um, just in that vein, is that the new generation of incoming teachers are starting to be from that Generation Z that has different ideas around what a workplace should look like and what it should feel like to go to work every day. And so thinking about that for the future um, and the future teachers that we hire, um, what do we have to change internally to be able to make sure that those teachers stay? Who, who do you want to take that question? Um, we'll go ahead and start with Anna and then um, pop over to Ben and Amanda. You know, I think that teacher voice and when I say teacher, I'm also including staff within the school setting is very, very important and very powerful. And if you really want to have or to create that culture of, again, taking a look at flex flexibility 
and making sure that, again, you are providing optimal um, opportunities for teachers and for students and for staff. It's really listening to what others are saying and building that together. So it's not just the administration um, providing the ideas or supporting the ideas, but that the ideas are being shared alike. Ben? Yeah, I agree. You, you have to share the vision. It can't be just developed by, you know, one group, a board of education or a superintendent. It has to be everybody has to have some sort of an input. And and to the, the first question of what is, should a school look like? I believe that was the question, correct? Yep. It shouldn't look like a school that has four walls on it. It should be wide open. It should have people coming into it. It should have kids going out of it. Um, it should have ideas flowing both ways so that, you know, we can always be fresh. We can give and we can also receive and, uh, you know, and, and everybody grows from that. Amanda? And I think, too, just to capitalize on what Anna and Ben said, I just think the freedom of innovation is going to be huge, you know, as we progress over the next, you know, five to 10 years in education, for sure. I know here in Arkansas, um, innovation has been a really big thing for the last few years for our schools. And so we've had that opportunity to apply to be schools of innovation and do things differently and have some waivers against um, some of the some of the rules that are in place Um from the state. And that's really been a nice way for us to kind of just let those walls down and kind of say, okay, what, what do, what could we imagine for these students over the next, you know, 10 years and actually start to build that. And um, I have seen a lot of really creative and neat ideas that, you know, five years ago, I would have said, schools wouldn't look this way, you know, today, but they do. And so, and I think really, just like Ben said, understanding that it's not just going to be a brick and mortar traditional school like we've known for so many years. Great. Um, two more questions. Um, so we know that teachers are struggling um, in terms of workload and behavior issues that happen in the classroom. Um, and I know that districts are working on, you know, PBIS and different ways of getting students involved and with positive behaviors. But how do we support teachers who feel overwhelmed when districts are at max capacity and can't hire additional support? Can I take that from a, a district level point of view? Yes. yes, please. Thanks. I think one of the most important things we can do as district administrators, as principals, I think we need to look at what are we putting on teachers and not only what are we putting on them, but what are we taking off? Because we constantly think of what can we add to what we're doing, but sometimes we need to think about what can we what can we take away? What are we not doing anymore? What do we not need anymore? And and how can that lessen the load a little bit? Great, Anna. Yeah, Ben, I would definitely agree with that. And I'm always saying to people, if it's not working, then why do you keep doing it? Right. If right. that's not working for you, then then don't do it. Right. Because, again, mm -hmm. if there's other ideas that are better supported and more effective and more efficient, then those are the ones that we need to start making happen. Right. And I think, too, just be more creative with the staff that we have. You know, I I know that currently we're working on a project here in our district and, you know, we may pull some teachers away um, to do to kind of repurpose their role to provide more support for our gen ed and special education teachers. And whenever you talk about it, you're like, oh my goodness, you're pulling two teachers, you know, from the classroom. But really it's going to, I think our, that we are going to see more um, 
buy-in, you know, with what, with our project, once we kind of push that out and teachers see the benefit of that. And so, you know, I just think sometimes we have to be creative. I think sometimes we create those boundaries for ourselves and, and that's what puts us in that box sometimes that we don't have to have. Um, last question um, before we, we close for the day. Um, there was another comment in the Q&A around having retired teachers help recruit new teachers. Um, that same question can go along in the vein of having highly qualified teachers um, be coaches for new teachers and offer them a stipend. Um, is that something that your district has thought of or um, is there a way to help engage newer teachers or inexperienced teachers um, and put them in a mentoring partnership with an HQ teacher? Do you think that would help with retention? And I definitely, was, I, yeah. I don't know who you want to go first. I'm sorry. Um, I definitely think that that does help. I know that um, whenever I've researched this topic in the past, I know that mentoring is one of the best ways to help retain teachers. And again, it goes back to that knowledge base, you know, that they can share, but it also goes back to that relationship and that connection piece that if they're not given that mentor um, that they miss out on. And you know, maybe even mentoring past that first year. I think sometimes we, we get them in, we mentor them, we mentor them. And then it's, you know, good luck your second year, you know, but they still need that support that second year and beyond. Um, Anna or Ben, closing remarks for, for this question? Yeah, definitely. I would agree with Amanda. You know, I do have the luxury only because I've created that luxury for our teachers. Um, where I do have for all beginning and any teacher that really does need the extra support where they have the buddy, they have the mentor, they have a coach. So it's that ongoing practice just to make sure that um, they're feeling and, and acknowledging with what they're doing is right. And just giving them that affirmation and that confidence level that I sometimes think teachers need um, and not feeling that they're left out and wondering whether what they're doing is right or wrong. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I can't add a lot, on a lot of that uh, other than to say, too, also some training for the mentors. Sometimes mm -hmm. we throw tra we throw mentors in there without any training at all. So I think that's important. But I agree with Anna and Amanda on that. Yeah, they, they may end up training or saying things you may know. <laughs> may <not laughs> that's right. Um, so um, you guys are great. It's been a, for me and I know for Aubrey, a wonderful pleasure to be here with you. But I, I want to give Aubrey a chance to kind of remind us. And by the way, before Aubrey talks a little bit more about mindsets and then I wrap up and I conclude for us. Guys, so much of what you said, I got to say, this mindsets speaks to. So I'm going to say right now, I don't want to, you know, because Aubrey's got her own things to say, but it's real world. That question you mentioned, Ben, about why are we doing this? Go, Aubrey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all, all three of you kind of touched on things about why why mindsets, right? Why do we do mindsets? What is mindsets? Um, it is about making uh, students and teachers remember the why, right? Why are we here, students? We're here to learn and have fun and, and grow and be engaged and have, you know, an exciting experience. It's the why of why we became a teacher, right? I, when I became a teacher, we wanted to change the world, right? We wanted students to have that, those aha moments, those light bulb moments. And, and that's what mindset provides. It gives the teachers the ability to do that without having to create and reinvent the wheel themselves. Um, collaboration, Ben, you talked about collaboration and having the space to collaborate. Um, 
um, communication and language. You know, Mindsets does all of that um, in English and in 120 different languages. So we're able to have students work through these collaborative math practices. Um, and even if they're newcomers, and even if they're new to the English language, they're able to participate with their peers. Uh, we are about breaking down barriers and really increasing capacity. So thank you so much. Check out Mindsets, um, go.mindsets.com. Um, we're always happy to help you and get you started with pilots. And we just, you know, we're here for our students and for our teachers. Thanks. Thanks, Aubrey. I thank so much all of you for attending. The 500 plus of you that were listening to this really cool conversation with three, well, with Aubrey, four incredibly cool, intelligent uh, people who are looking always uh, to, for learning experiences. Last thing I'll say is you just saw four students, people that are learning. They never give up learning. They're always looking for the next thing to expand themselves. You guys are great. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.